The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show on a Monday here. Happy Monday, Tucson. It is January the 24th, 2022, 8.02 on your Tucson morning. We are live here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. is Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. And you can also listen via the live stream found on ESPNTucson.com. And if you can't listen at all live, you can always download the podcast, which you can find everywhere you download your podcast. If you're, if you're into listening to podcasts, they're, uh, they're available on uh, several of the, uh, the sites that you download from, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Amazon, um, Audible. You can find them on Stitcher, on TuneIn, lots of different uh, places to get the podcast. You can download it and listen at your leisure. Regardless, I appreciate you tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show as try to bring you all the passionate and opinionated sports talk that we have uh, for you every single day here for the two hours that we're on the air, try to get you as much information as we can and try to entertain you in, uh, in certain ways as well. Um, you know, I feel like I have somewhat of a unique way of looking at certain things. I've been around a long time. I've spent a lot of time with people who are big-time decision-makers in professional and in college sports, and it's given me kind of a different outlook on certain things, and I tend to take more of like a coach's type of take on things as opposed to a fan or a media type of take on things. But nonetheless, if you enjoy it, I appreciate you tuning in, and uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter. I don't really I don't give out my Twitter handle all that often. I Quite honestly, I forget. Uh, what even is my Twitter handle? There you go, at UAZ Voice. I literally had to look it up because – I don't remember it. I don't give it out all that much. Uh, at UAZ Voice, uh, you can follow me there. And uh, occasionally I get a little riled up. I just had to, I had to mute a bunch of people last night because I was sick and tired of dealing with them, um, which I don't do that that often. I don't mute people. I usually let them be heard. And last night I was not willing to do that. So <laughs> I was done. Most They're all friends, like literally like personal friends of mine. And I'm like, you're muted. Like I'll, I'll let you off of suspension in a week. Or maybe after the, the the football season is over, and I'll let you back into my life. But uh, right now, can't deal with your sorry butt talking about overtime rules are correct. Get out of here with that. And and look, what is what is the answer to the overtime rule? I don't know. I don't. I mean, that's I don't, I don't get paid enough to make those decisions. I'm not in the NFL front office. I can tell you that I would like an entire 15 minute period to be played. I'm not a I'm not a fan of sudden death over time until it's absolutely necessary. The The two teams were so evenly matched for 60 minutes that it had to go into an overtime, another 15-minute period. If they still can't figure it out, then we're going to have to do it for them. Okay? Would anybody be upset? Would anybody be upset with this situation? Okay? And this is look. This is just my. This is people because people. It was last night. I got hit with this question ninety six times. I swear to God. Okay, well then, what's your suggestion, big guy? What's your What's your suggestion, pal? Well, here's my suggestion. You play the full fifteen minutes. If as time expires, we still have a tie. We haven't determined a winner. Okay. If If the game was forty nine forty nine, 
at the end of the 15-minute the overtime period, then the home team gets the ball at the 20-yard line, the, the, at their minus 20, at their own 20. Okay, Home team gets the ball. It's, it's part of home field advantage. Okay, If they score, they win, period. If they score anything, they win. There's no coin toss. Okay, there's no there's no luck of the draw. Like eh, tails never fails. Oh crap! It came up heads. I guess we lose. No, 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 there's none of that. You played an entire 17 game season, soon to be an 18 game season, to earn the right to have home field advantage in the playoffs for two reasons. Number one, to have your home crowd there and be able to you know practice in your own facilities and and stay in you know the beds that you're familiar with. And number two, in the event of a sudden death overtime, you get the ball first. That's my that's my solution to the problem. I don't personally. I think it's a great idea. I mean, it's, it's my idea, so of course I think it's great. <laughs> but play a full fifteen minutes, and people. There's other people out there that are that are you know taking to the the player safety. You know, he- heading up the 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 player safety initiative. 15 extra minutes, guys could get hurt. Listen, I'm not talking about it happening during the regular season. This is a purely playoff version of the NFL, overtime rules. Just the playoffs. In the regular season, fine. You want to let a coin toss, decide the game, fine. It's a regular season game. They got other chances you know, to figure it out unless it happens in the final week of the season, in which case, don't know what to tell you. You had other, you had other opportunities to win games throughout the season, whatever, okay? I'm a little less bullish on on that. When it comes to the playoffs, and we need to determine a winner, the best way to do it is to not have a coin toss. That is not the best way to go about business in the NFL. So play a 15-minute quarter. If you still haven't decided a winner, if there's when zero's on the clock, there's not one team with one or more points than the other team, then you play sudden death, and the home team gets the ball at their own 20. There's no kick. Home team gets the ball at their own 20. Let's go. Spot the ball 20, go. If you kick a 62-yard field goal to win the game, congratulations. If you throw a pick six on the first play, sorry. But that's part, that's, that, that, that's, that's part of playing through the season, to earn home, home field advantage. I feel like home field advantage doesn't mean a whole lot in the NFL. Look at who won. Look at who won this weekend. <laughs> Three road teams. All went into some home stadium where teams, two teams had been waiting for them. Two teams had bye weeks, been, been sitting there in their own facilities for the two weeks, watching film and studying things, working out in their own gym, sleeping in their own beds, not having to travel, not having to play a game. Both those teams got beat. Rams going to Tampa, beat Tom Brady at home in the playoffs. How many times has that happened? How many times has Tom Brady lost a home game in the playoffs? Four times, maybe? Now, most quarterbacks, most players, if they lose four home games in their career in the playoffs, you're like, man, that's not, that's not great. Except for the fact that he's won like 22 home games in his career in the playoffs. Then, then it seems a little different. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, it's a pretty good, pretty good winning percentage. So like, it's like almost like home field advantage didn't mean anything. Now, the 49ers were the only road team to win in the wild card round. Wildcard round wasn't even that competitive, though. Like, we talked about how bad the games were, right? They're all blowouts, except for the 49er game. You know, the road team kind of having a little slugfest there with Dallas. But if 
if two things happen in that Dallas Niners game, if if the 49ers, if Jimmy Garoppolo decides to wait for his tackle to to settle into position before snapping the ball and getting a uh, getting a procedure penalty, the 49ers ice that game. Most likely, they they score they they score another touchdown there or score at least a field goal because they they got the first down by four yards on that fourth and one play. And if he doesn't throw a pick, the 49ers move into position to potentially, you know, score another, you know, more points. 49ers could have won that game by 17 points. It could have been, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying like, oh, it could have, would have, should But again, eh. But this weekend, three road teams won. And in the other game, you let the opposing quarterback come in and just throw the football all over your defense. And by the way, who the hell is Gabriel Davis? <laughs> like, who is that guy? You couldn't throw one football to Dawson Knox? Just saying. Just a little aside there. So that's my that's my solution to the overtime rule. I I can't stand the way that it's decided now. Like, to me, you know, like basketball, it's easy just to, just to play a five-minute period, uh, you know, in basketball. If they're tied again, they play another five-minute period. Eventually, something's going to happen where a player fouls out, a you know, key player fouls out, or one team is making their free throws while the other team doesn't, or one team gets a little bit of a lead and has to, you know, the other team is forced to foul. Because there's so much scoring in the game, eventually you're going to break that tie and it's it's going to end. You don't you don't get seven overtime games in basketball. It doesn't happen. There's just, there's just too much scoring going on. But in games where there's you know defense, that's why the NHL had to do the things that they've done because there were so many games ending in ties because you know goal scoring is. At a premium in the NHL, like much like in in soccer, right? Like one nothing game. It's that's like the most common score in in world soccer. One nothing. But you know, so it like for me, football needs to be decided on the field. It needs to be decided with the players with with the ball in their hands and opportunities to make plays. We all could have benefited from one possession by the Buffalo Bills last night. Everybody would have benefited from that. Fans, at least. Obviously, the Chiefs wouldn't have benefited from it. And maybe the Bills would not have benefited from it. If they don't score, they don't. I mean, they still get the benefit of trying, I guess. But at least give them them the ball. At least give them a shot. To not even put the ball in their hands is a travesty. It's a shame, really. I mean, I said it before the overtime even happened, before Patrick Mahomes went down the field in 13 seconds to lead his team into a field goal position. Like, one of these guys is going to lose this game. It's going to be a damn shame. They both played their tails off. I mean, it was it was an incredible game. And we're going to look back on this. We're going to say, man, what a great game that was. And we're, we're probably going to move off of the damn you know, overtime rule. But it is time to revisit that. It's also time to revisit the taunting rules because Tyreek Hill should have been flagged for taunting when he was waving bye-bye to the to the Bills defenders running into the end zone. That's that's taunting. I mean, that's that's letter of the law taunting right there. Never got flagged. That potentially changed portions of that game as well. So, you know, we, I mean, do I think that the, the Chiefs would not have scored if they had taken a 15-yard penalty the four-yard line when he waved by? They probably would have scored, but you know, I don't know. Time's kind of running out there. Who knows? Maybe the Bills' number one defense actually shows up for once. And, and they were doing okay in that game. They forced a few punts for Kansas City, but it was those quarterbacks just got so hot late in the game. 
it was just back and forth. 25 points in the final two minutes. It's insane. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. What a game. Like, I'm, I'm just I'm thankful that it happened. I'm thankful that we got to see it. I'm upset the way that it ended. To say I'm upset is an understatement. I'm really upset. I'm, I'm pissed off as the way, at the way that it ended because I wanted more. And maybe I'm just being greedy. Maybe I'm being selfish. But I wanted more. Speaking of uh, being greedy and selfish, I'm looking at my picks here. Did pretty well. I went seven for eight in my picks over the weekend. Now, I'm just, just in the NFL because I did my picks on Friday. I had Cincinnati plus three and a half. Okay. They obviously did that. They, they won the game straight up. I did pick the over in that game at 47 and a half. They, the game finished at 35. That was my only loss in the four picks, in the eight picks that I made, whether the, the picks against the spread and the over-under picks. I had San Francisco plus five and a half. That came in. I also had that game at the under. That obviously came in. <laughs> 13 to 10. Slobber knocker. I had the Rams plus three straight up with the over. Both of those hit. And I had Kansas City minus one and a half with the over. Both of those hit. It was seven for eight in my picks. That's like one of the best weekends ever. Go figure. It takes one of the most <laughs> incredible weekends of football that we've ever seen in order for me to go seven for eight <laughs> in my picks. Go figure. Can't just be like normal, like, yep, that was what, exactly what we expected. That was how it was supposed to go. And, oh, by the way, Jeff, your picks, you went over eight in your picks. <laughs> Because you can't pick games. I did pretty well this weekend, though. FanDuel Sportsbook was very good to me this weekend. Just put it that way. Except, oh, Josh Allen couldn't. Gabriel Davis? Four touchdowns? Who is that guy? Of course, the Chiefs are probably asking themselves the same thing. Like, we never even scouted this guy. Who is this guy? Four touchdowns, 201 receiving yards. My God, what a game by him. If, they had thrown a, if he had thrown a touchdown pass to Dawson Knox, my life would be a little bit different right now. Just put it that way. A little bit different. Not not big time different, but a little bit different. So a quick look at the at the at the NFC and AFC championship games coming up before we move on to local sports talk, because I do want to talk some local stuff. There's other things happened over the weekend besides the NFL. And some of you who have tuned in at eight o'clock this morning, I know it's Monday, looking for the Dean's list and the Dunce list, it's not happening today because I, I I could do I could do an entire show on the the heroes and the zeros from the weekend in sports. Like we all saw it. I don't need I don't need to to detail everything that happened, the good and the bad and the ugly from the weekend in sport. We all saw it. And I, to be honest with you, I didn't want to waste time digging for little things like, oh, uh, this uh, in this high school soccer game. You know, this person had, you know, 14 saves. It's go, you know, I, who knows? I didn't want to go digging deep in that stuff because I didn't want to spend time talking about it when we should be talking about other things. Looking ahead at the, at the championship weekend, okay, that's coming up this Sunday, championship round. The AFC championship game is going to kick off at 1 o'clock. Kansas City Chiefs are hosting the Cincinnati Bengals, the two-seed versus the four-seed there. The Chiefs already opened up as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite in that game, so big favorite for them. And then the 49ers travel to their home away from home, apparently, which is SoFi Stadium because the game at the end of the season was 75% Niner fans. People that were there are like the whole place was full of Niner fans. Like you, you, 
Matt Stafford could not hear the play calls in his home stadium with uh, uh, playoff seedings and, and a potential chance to win the NFC West on the line. Could not hear the play calls. They had delay of game and false start penalties because of the noise in their home stadium. 49ers are going to go play. They're home away from home. The Rams opened up as a three-and-a-half-point favorite, probably based on what people saw over the weekend and the fact the 49ers are a little beat up. Like, that was a, an extremely physical game. I give all the credit in the world to the Green Bay Packers. They absolutely nutted up in that game. Like, they were able to, to match the 49ers physically on several levels. Over time, over the 60 minutes of the game, the 49ers' physical identity and mentality eventually overtook the Packers, but the Packers were up to the task. They were bringing it. That was a fiercely physical game. That, that game was that was about as fun to watch. Like, I, I've said this before. I, I would always, I'll always prefer like a 2-1 baseball game where it's a, a great pitcher's duel or a great defensive duel over a 9-7 to baseball game where there's dingers being hit all over the place. And so I, I'd much rather watch a pitcher's duel where every base runner counts, every pitch counts. And in a game like what we saw in on Saturday night in Lambeau, they're calling it the snow globe game, right? That's kind of what it looked like. It looked like a snow globe. The, the potential for a game-altering moment, an outcome-altering moment, was on every single play, considering the weather and the slippery field and the slippery ball and the way those two teams were just smashing each other in the mouth. Like, that game came down to every single moment. The biggest moment happened to be when the Packers decided to line up a guy who's like 180 pounds on the on the special teams line to block a 49ers defensive lineman who was six foot six, 310 pounds, who literally used one arm to shove the guy out of the way, like move please, and the other arm to block the punt. Like it was a mismatch of epic proportions in that particular instance right there. Sends the ball flying up into the air. Seemed like it hung up there forever. And then Hofanga finally lands in front of Hofanga, who picks it up and runs it six yards into the end zone for the touchdown. Here's Listen to this little, 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 little tidbit of information. The two number one seeds in the NFL playoffs this year, the Titans and the Packers, were beaten by teams who allowed 13 sacks and scored one offensive touchdown combined. I'll say it again. The two number one seeds were beaten by teams who combined to allow 13 sacks and scored one offensive touchdown. Those were your number one seeds this year, folks. We talked about it all year, how important having that number one seed is. It's the only team that gets a buy as the number one seed this year. Normally it's number one and two. This time it's just the number one. They're the only team that gets the buy. Those teams are now beginning to wonder, was it all worth it? Was it, was it worth it working that hard to get the best record in the, in the conference that year, to get the number one seed, to just lose at home to a team who was hot, a team who, who was, was, had momentum and was feeling the chemistry, had established their, their, their postseason identity? I mean, the, the, the Packers lost to a seasoned team. You know, the, there's, a, there's a lot of players in that 49er team who have been in the playoff, a lot of them. 
That Bengals team is wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, like, hey, what are, it's, it's, it's another season. Yeah, we get to play more football. They've never been there before. It's almost like they, they don't know any better. That's the team that the Titans lost to. So it, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, look, still, if, if I were given the opportunity, if I were given the choice, if I'm a head coach and I'm given the choice of a one seed or a two seed, I'm taking the one seed every time. Yeah, you know, I get to play at home. Yeah, regardless of the scenario, I get to play at home and I get a week off in between. I'll take my chances. Didn't work out so well this year, though. Three road teams winning, and one team came awfully close. 13 seconds away. The 13 seconds of stupidity cost the Buffalo Bills. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, the Wildcats were in NorCal over the weekend, played Cal yesterday, destroyed the uh, the Bears. But we'll talk about some things, some notes and things from that game because Arizona had another player injured in the game, and they get ready for a big matchup tomorrow night in Los Angeles against the Bruins. We'll talk about that. Also, Arizona women's basketball gets a big win over the weekend as they beat the Rocky Mountain Schools. They sweep the Rocky Mountain Schools at the McHale Center. Shayna Pellington just went off. And they play UCLA coming up this week as well. And also, some Wildcat recruits showing out in the Polynesian Bowl. All that and more. Stay tuned right here to the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back here to the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Yesterday in the Bay, up in Berkeley, the Wildcats opened up to a 17-3 lead on Cal and never looked back as they crushed the Golden Bears 96-71 and gear up for a Tuesday night matchup with UCLA, a showdown in Los Angeles at Poly Pavilion. The Wildcats now move to 16-1 on the season. They are 6-0 in the conference. Bears slip to 9-10. They are 2-6 in the conference. And I, I think... And just just off the, the the top of the 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 you know the pile of all the things that I wanted to mention in regards to this Wildcat basketball team recently, there there are two wins in the Bay Area. One thing that I talked about last week was that this team lately had been getting off to slow starts. That that all changed this weekend. In the, in the uh, in the NorCal sweep. They opened up 12-2 at Stanford and opened up 17-3 at Cal. Now, I'm not going to say, you know, wipe my hands, problem solved, walk away, it's all good. Because, you know, there are obviously you know, mismatch issues. Cal's not a very good basketball team. Um, and Stanford was, I think, kind of ripe for the picking for us. But it certainly does bring an air of confidence to the players. If they know that they can jump out early and play with that style, it's much easier to uh, to go about business if you just open up with a strong opening. Like, you start a game, you know, with a, with a I mean, you start a game with a 17-3 run. <laughs> I mean, they had to fight back from that in Knoxville, right? You know, when they were down, what was it, 14 or 15 to Tennessee early in that game, it was hard to fight back. They eventually tied the game a couple of times, but ended up coming up too short. It's it's hard to make a comeback from that type of a uh, that type of a deficit early in the game. 
So they jump out to early leads. Last night it was, or yesterday afternoon, I should say, uh, it, it was just total, just total domination. They outscored Cal 48-27 in the first half. Cal's head coach, Mark Fox, got a double technical and booted from the game before halftime. And then after the game, he had some words for the officials and basically said that, and I don't, I don't know who the official was. I didn't look into it. Um, you know, if it, if it wasn't Tommy Lloyd getting technicals or Jack Murphy or somebody getting technicals and thrown out of the game, I, I'm not going to pay too much attention to it. But Mark Fox said after the game, one of the officials wanted to be a three-year-old and getting to a staring contest with me, and then he teed me up, and that was it. <laughs> so calling the official a three-year-old, I like it. I mean, I, listen, I, I, you know, I, I talked about Mark Fox on Friday. I said, he, you know, he's a guy that gets his team ready for big, for big games, and Cal seemed to have a, a, a scheme in mind that was going to at least try to slow down Arizona because they, you know, Arizona only had 14 assists in the game. I think the 31 field goals to the, to the 14 assists might be the biggest disparity in field goals to assists that Arizona's had all season. So they did a good job in trying to scheme Arizona out of what they do extremely well. Problem is Arizona didn't need to have the assists in that situation because Arizona athletically was so far and above, head and shoulders above anything that Cal was going to throw at them that they were able to just take one-on-one dribble drives. They got to the line, either shot 28 uh, free throws in the game. Obviously, that's a big number for Arizona. They made 23 of 28. That's 82% from the free throw line. If they can do that uh, on a nightly basis, if, they, if Arizona can shoot 82% from the free throw line, you're talking about a team that's nearly impossible to beat at that point. Arizona also shot 40, uh, nearly 41% from beyond the arc, 11 of 27. Ben Matherin was, was awesome shooting the ball yesterday. Uh, and, look, you know, the, the starting lineup last night, Pella Larson gets his first start because of the injured uh, Azulis Tabellas, who's listed as day-to-day right now with the sprained ankle. Christian Coloco has another double-double, 19 points, 13 rebounds. In his, uh, in his game last night, he played a lot better, only played with one personal foul in the game after getting benched in the first half of the Stanford game with two early fouls and picked up four and just had been kind of foul-prone in his previous few games. Only picked up one personal foul, had three block shots in the game as well. He had six offensive rebounds. He was a monster. He was he was uh, a, 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 more than a handful for for Cal, as was Umar Balo, who came in. He played 19 minutes, four of five from the field, six of seven from the free throw line. I mean, he was seven of nine against Stanford, six of seven against Cal. Scored 14 points, also had two block shots. The two big men were unstoppable. Like they were, you know, 33 combined points, 16 rebounds, five block shots. They were they were just incredible. They also 13 of 18 from the field for those two combined. It was all about the front court. And then in the back court, you had Ben Matherin with 14. He was three of four from beyond the arc. Kirk Creesa pouring in 13. Only had three assists in the game. Again, the assist numbers were down for Arizona as a whole. Uh, again, I, I thought Cal did a good job of kind of scheming Arizona, uh, trying of doing what they like to do uh, offensively. Pella Larson gets nine points, uh, three boards. Um, Dalen Terry, the other starter, seven points. A typical Dalen Terry game, right? Seven points, four rebounds, two assists, a steal. You know, very very typical of Dalen. Played lights out defense, and uh, but really, 
you know, the, the important the important pieces here were the bench pieces. Once again, Umar Balo, 19 points, extremely productive. And Justin Kyer paid 31 minutes in that game. Only had 10 points, had three assists, six rebounds, but it was so important for him to get those 31 minutes. And, interestingly enough, not only, not interestingly enough, interestingly enough, he got injured in the game. But the, in the 31 minutes, Justin Kyer only had one turnover, which is remarkable. Uh, I'll take that every day, twice on Sunday. Wildcats only committed eight turnovers as a team, which is you know, somewhat of a, of a spark for, uh, for Tommy, of course. I'm, I'm sure he's very happy about that. Playing a team that doesn't turn you over all that much, though, okay, still, give credit where credit is due. Wildcats only eight turnovers in their possessions last night. Now, Kyer was in a wrist brace after the game. After taking a hard fall earlier, he had kind of got himself up into the air, got undercut, and, uh, you know, Tommy Lloyd talked about it after the game, said you can't be putting yourself in those positions. Justin Kyer said, I didn't intend on falling. I you know, was intending on jumping up and landing on my feet, didn't know I was going to get undercut. Uh, regardless, it was a pretty hard fall. He landed on his wrist, said it went numb for a, a minute. Um, J-Rock, Justin Kokoski went and t- you know, looked at him, and he played the rest of the game. So, obviously, it wasn't too bad, and he hit a three-pointer. Uh, it was a three-pointer? No, no, it was, it was just a regular jump shot that he hit after the game, uh, or in, later in the game after the, the wrist injury. So, he seemed to be doing okay. He was also two of two from the free throw line. Now, Azulis Tabellis was still wearing the boot on his foot and is listed as day-to-day. We don't know if he's going to be cleared to play against UCLA. My guess is, you know, Zoo is is, is a pretty tough kid. Uh, he'll likely try to give it a go, want to give it a go. I, it's it's uh, it's up to the trainers and the doctors. Obviously, Justin Kokoski will uh, will evaluate it. Chris Rounds will you know will kind of assist him on that. Um, and then you know anybody else in the organization who who you know has a. a you know, history and knowledge in those types of, of injuries and such. So we'll find out if, if Azulis is ready to go. So up next for Arizona, of course, UCLA at Poly Pavilion. We'll talk about the new rankings coming up um, after the break because, uh, you know, overnight the, it's uh, it's Monday. The AP won't be announced for another 20 minutes or so, usually right as we uh, right as we get off the air. The AP is announced. Again, I do not care about the AP. It's the other three polls that uh, that I do care about, and we'll talk about that where Arizona is, where UCLA is, and what we can expect to see. A little bit, a little bit of a preview for tomorrow night's basketball game coming up next. You're listening here to ESPN Tucson. It's the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on this Monday. Busy, busy Monday. Gosh, we've got like 15 minutes left of the show, and i still got a lot of stuff I want to talk about. <laughs> go figure, go figure. Uh, okay, so the, the new net rankings are out, the Ken Palm rankings are out, and the Sagarin rankings. See, now I mentioned net and Ken Palm because those are the two that are most important to me, in my opinion. Those are the two that I, that I rely on most heavily. But I've noticed that the fans – also like to join in on the Sagarin rankings as well. So I'll throw in the Jeff Sagarin rankings. He's got a great name, might as well. Uh, his name's Jeff, so, you know, he obviously knows what he's talking about. So we'll throw the Jeff Sagarin rankings in from now on as well because it can give us a little bit of a different look the way that Sagarin runs his uh, algorithm as opposed to the way Ken Palm uses his method in his analytics. Now, Arizona's 
most recent rankings, I mean, obviously they look really good. Their net ranking, they're still number one after their weekend sweep in the NorCal schools. Uh, they're still number one in the NCAA net, which is massive, uh, you know, obviously for as far as postseason seeding and such like that goes. Ken Palm, they moved up to the number two position in Ken Palm and are likewise the number two ranked team in the Sagarin poll as well. Gonzaga, number one in both of those polls, respectively, Ken Palm and Sagarin. UCLA, currently, number 16 in the net. Uh, the net rankings, they're number 16. They are sandwiched right between, where are they? Uh, sandwiched right between Utah, uh, UConn and Texas. Um, not sure how Texas is that high. They're really not that good. Um, UConn is good. Uh, but UCLA sitting there number 16 right now. Um, they are number 12 in the Ken Palm and number 13 in the Sagarin. So this will be a quad one game for both teams, obviously. This is a huge game. If Arizona can can come away with a victory in Poly Pavilion tomorrow night, it is my opinion that they will be the number one team across the board. Uh, not only in the net, Ken Palm and Sagarin, but they will likely be the number one team in the AP as well. UCLA struggled a little bit over the weekend in, in the Rocky Mountains. That's 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 a that's a really tough trip. Um, they barely escaped against Utah and had some problems, some trouble putting away Colorado yesterday. Again, the Rocky Mountain trip is a very very difficult trip. Arizona has had splits in that uh, in that in that trip several times. Um, I think they got swept once in that uh, in that trip over the last 15 years as well. So it's, it's look, it's not an easy trip in the Rocky Mountains. A lot of schools will go in there and lose one or two of the games in their Rocky Mountain road trip. So uh, UCLA, I'm not surprised that they struggled a little bit. Those are both look. Utah's not a good team right now. They're one and nine in the conference, um, and they've lost I think nine in a row, I believe. Um, so they're struggling, but Huntsman is a difficult place to play. The fans there are very passionate. It's a uh, it's a big arena. It's a difficult arena to play in. And then Colorado, you have to deal with not only the altitude, but also Tad Boyle's team, which is, uh, you know, as, as we've seen before, always up to the task. So we'll have a full preview of that, uh, that UCLA-Arizona game for you tomorrow. I'm going to start digging in on it uh, early and start taking a look at, at some things today, some analytics and, and some of the players involved, and we'll start putting together a little bit of a, of a game plan for, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, a game plan. If I were coaching, essentially, that's kind of how I approach my previews, and I'll have my three keys to an Arizona victory, but that's uh, that'll be on tomorrow's show. But that, sh- that, uh, that game tomorrow night at Poly Pavilion, 9 o'clock, Dave Pash and Bill Walton on the call. Should be fun. Arizona women's basketball. Gets a dominant victory last night or yesterday in the McHale Center as uh, they beat Colorado by a score of 75-56. to 56. Like, Shayna Pellington just went off. Like, 28 points from Shayna Pellington, 10 of 13 from the field. Kate Reese had another monster game. She had 23 points and nine boards in that win for Arizona as they sweep the Rocky Mountain schools at home over the weekend, and now they will travel also to Los Angeles. They'll take on UCLA. That game is going to be at Poly Pavilion Wednesday night. Uh, UCLA women's team is ranked number 41 in the NCAA net rankings, so not as good as we've seen the Bruins before, but still going to be a Q1 game for the women's basketball team, playing a top 50 team there, and especially on the road, could be a potentially 
huge move for the women's Wildcat team. So we'll be uh, we'll be taking a look at that. Right now, the Wildcats they uh, recently climbed to number nine overnight in the net, so they are still a top ten net team, moving up from tenth to ninth after beating Utah, who's the number nineteen net team, and Colorado, the number thirty three net team. So Arizona women's basketball continuing to roll. You know, stubbed their stubbed their toe a little bit. They lost to USC, not a good team. Uh, lost to Oregon, who was a soaring team. Obviously, they're you know Oregon is they'll eventually put it together. Their their women's team is a lot like the men's team, where you know Dana Altman always kind of seems to figure things out after getting a lot of transfers. They'll struggle early, they'll look bad, and next thing you know, they're competing for first place in the conference. The women's team since the loss of Sabrina Ionescu has kind of been very similar to that, but nonetheless, uh, a good basketball team. And they are coming to the McHale Center real soon, February 4th, Oregon and uh, and Arizona at the McHale Center. Until then, Arizona's going to be on the road. They basically kind of have the same script as the men's team, just in reverse. They open at UCLA. Then they'll head to Cal. They'll, they'll take Berkeley. Uh, they'll play in Berkeley on the 28th and then play at number two Stanford. Huge, huge game, obviously. That game is going to be on January 30th, uh, a week from yesterday. So big, big game. That game is scheduled for uh, for 2 p.m. at Stanford. And this is kind of a gauntlet run for Arizona, right? They've got UCLA, Cal's no good, but Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State, at ASU, home ASU. This is quite a little run right now that, that Adia Barnes and the women's basketball team is staring at. So going to be very important for them. In those in those six games, if they can go four and two in those games, you know, pick up a win maybe at UCLA, beat both Oregon schools, maybe split with ASU and see what happens with Stanford. I, you know, I, again, they're better than ASU. They should beat ASU, you know, in both cases. But it's rivalry games, and you just kind of never know what's going to happen in some of those. Although Adia Barnes has pretty much owned uh, ASU over the last couple of years, so maybe that's not quite the. Uh, uh, quite where I'd be looking at. Maybe they go five and one. Their only losses to Stanford. Regardless, um, if they can get a a highly positive outcome from these next six games, you'll be looking at a team who is poised at a probably a two seed in the in, in the NCAA uh, tournament, and uh, that's kind of right where they want to be. I mean, this is this is what we expected from this team. So, looking forward to uh, to the next few weeks here of Wildcat women's basketball, and again. It uh, tips off as they take on the Bruins this Wednesday at Poly Pavilion. Going to be a big game. We are going to actually. I, I was I was going to talk Polynesian Bowl, but I'd rather talk about it with somebody who is more familiar with the players that were playing in it. So we're going to talk Polynesian Bowl tomorrow. Matt Moreno is going to join the program at eight thirty. We'll have him on to talk the things that he saw at the Polynesian Bowl, things that were heard and said, because Arizona had six players in that Polynesian Bowl, and several of them had big games. Like, Noah Fafita scored a touchdown in that game, a, a rushing touchdown, where he outran, like, linebackers and stuff. Like, he <laughs> had quite a scramble in that game. There was an interesting play in that game that involved three future Wildcats all in the same play on both sides of the ball. Uh, Jacob Manu had a big game. Uh, T Mac had a huge game. He, he led he led all 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 players in receptions and and uh, receiving yards. So we'll talk with Matt Moreno tomorrow about the Poly Bowl. Also, this is the final week of of football recruiting until they hit the dead period, and we'll talk some basketball recruiting as well. So we'll talk with Matt, who is our recruiting expert. We'll we'll talk with him tomorrow about all that stuff. Stay tuned at eight thirty in the morning for that. 
When I return, I'll put a big, bright red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. You're listening here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Well, in other news around the conference, this, I think we all saw this coming based on what was happening Friday night in Palo Alto as uh, the the uh, the uh, the Sun Devils were in uh, were in town uh, Saturday night sorry not Friday night Saturday night in Palo Alto as uh, Arizona State was taking on Stanford and if you were kind of following along on on Twitter if you know if you happen to see people who tweet about Arizona State basketball or, or you know sporting news and stuff you saw how the the anger was growing in Sun Devil land in regards to the lopsidedness of the free throws in that game. Now, the way it ended, Stanford had shot 41 free throws in a game. Like, that's that's an extreme amount of free throws. Like, that's, that's a really, really lot. 41 free throws in a game. Now, Stanford did lead the Pac-12, because we, we talked about it before the Thursday game against the Wildcats, that Stanford did lead the Pac-12 in free throw attempts. That's Kind of what they do. They get the you know get the ball into positions where they're you know there's a mismatch because of a screen and things like that, and players are forced to foul because Stanford's a big team. They're physical. They like to beat the ball inside. It kind of happens. But the free throw disparity in that game, Stanford had shot 41 free throws. Arizona State had shot nine. That's a huge disparity. I mean, it's the, it's the second largest free throw disparity in a Pac-12 game in the last decade. Okay. So that, it, it's it's a lot. It's a considerable amount. Stanford ended up winning the game 79-76 based largely on a foul that was called on a three-point shooter late in that game with like 1.6 seconds left on the clock, I think it was, and uh, ASU was not happy. Now, we know Bobby Hurley. We know how he goes about his business with the officials. He is uh, he is someone who just goes on absolute tirades. I mean, we've all seen him before. We've seen him get tossed from games in McHale. We've seen him get tossed from games all over the Pac-12. He is constantly screaming at the officials, often you know, childish and demonstrative at the same time in his business about uh, you know working with the officials here in the Pac-12. Following the game on Saturday night in Palo Alto, he stormed. He screamed something at one of the officials on his way off the floor and walked out walked off the feet just walked off the court didn't didn't shake hands with the opposing coaching staff with you know with you know everybody that was you know that was there with Jared Hass and his his coaching staff or the players just screamed something to the officials and walked off the floor now as he's walking off the floor some players Arizona State players had decided that they were going to descend upon the officials to let them know also their opinions on how they did their job. In one instance, Jay Heath, who is a guard for the uh, for the Sun Devils, bumped into the back of Jay uh, Sastetter, the, the one of the one of the officials there. Now, there's an assistant coach who was trying to separate everybody. Bobby Hurley t- turns around, sees everything that's happening, and basically just waves it off and continues to walk off the floor, storms off the court, doesn't get his players reined in doesn't and and this is in my opinion where things went really wrong for Bobby Hurley 
Storming off the court is one thing. Giving your opinion to the officials is one thing. But when your players are starting to physically involve themselves with the officials, physically involve themselves, and you do nothing, that is the problem. Bobby Hurley was fined $20,000 by the Pac-12 and was suspended for tonight's game against USC in Los Angeles. Jay Heath was also suspended for the game, and Jalen Graham, forward for Arizona State, was publicly reprimanded for verbally confronting one of the officials uh, on the court following the game as well. Not a good look for Bobby Hurley and Arizona State basketball. Not a good look at all. I mean, I guess something we've come to expect from the way that he he acts and the way he treats officials. I don't like to see it. Uh, I'm sure that if Bobby could, could take it back today, he would. But we'll talk about that later on in the week. Stay tuned for Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6, and I'll see you guys again tomorrow on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. KFFN Tucson. KWCX Tanka Verde. KMXZ HD for Tucson.